want to continue on with the articles of faith and address, uh, look at Article 9. I love this article, and in fact, as I, as I read through and study each of these, they're, they're such a blessing, and, and uh, uh, I'm very thankful that we, that our forefathers embraced uh, a, um, a group of articles that define and describe what the church uh, holds to. In Article Number 9, It says, we believe that the church of Christ is a body, corporate, possessing full power to govern herself and having the exclusive right to receive and discipline her own members, knowing no rule but the word of God. And she is therefore independent. She is therefore independent. Now, I know how easily I'm distracted and, and I don't know if you are as easily distracted as I am, but just little things distract me. And one of them this morning is that I have a new Bible. My, my Bible was uh, falling apart, and, uh, and it would always stay in place when I laid it down here. But the new one, as I remove my hands, it starts sliding down. And so uh, it's amazing how easily we're distracted. I'm sure you don't have the same challenges that I do, but... Uh, uh, it helps if we can eliminate the distractions that we have and really focus, as Brother Mark said, in uh, studying and hearing the Word of God as we, as we come to worship the Lord. I pray the Lord will bless us for a few minutes to be able to do that and that we'll uh, be able to focus on the Lord. It says that we believe that the church of God is a, is a body corporate. It's not a corporate body. But it is a body of believers. We don't. uh, It's not an organization like you would have in the world. It's not a business. The church is not a business. It's a called out assembly. And if you look up the Greek definition of the word church, it will define that it is an assembly that's called out. It's called out of the world. It's called to a unit or a body. And it says, we believe that the church of Christ possesses the full power to govern herself and having the exclusive right to receive and discipline her own members, emphasis there on her own members, the individual church, knowing no rule but the word of God, and she is therefore independent. So I want to look at a little bit about where the church comes from. How did the church even here at Mount Carmel begin? Uh, Where is the head of the church? Who is the head of the church? And what is the role or purpose of the church? And what's necessary for it to be identified as a church of Jesus Christ? And we have to depend upon the scriptures to answer these questions that we have. So in... uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, we see that the Apostle Paul, it refers to the church. And in his uh, comparison to the church right there, he's talking about the church being a universal body of believers. And sometimes when you uh, refer to the church, it can be referred to as God's children. The Apostle Paul says that that he was not worthy to be compared to the apostles because he said, I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Now, he's not saying that he persecuted a particular church like 
Mount Carmel or Columbia or Wilmington, but he persecuted Christians in general. So the term church can refer to as God's universal family. But as we look at it this morning, and as the articles that are written to describe this church here at Mount Carmel and the church of Jesus Christ, we're looking at a local assembly as a called out body, a local assembly. We're not looking at specifically the entire uh, body of Christ, the entire universal church, but we're looking at a local called out assembly, a family of God. Now, I think it's interesting that it, it refers to in the article of being called out, of being called out. And I want to I want to touch on that just a little bit. There is a general call that's given by the ministers of the gospel to uh, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, to understand more about Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, the charge that's given to the ministers of the gospel, he says three things right here. Two of them are the same thing. But he says that your responsibility is to go out. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's Christ saying this right here. Uh, chapter 28, verse 18. And then he says to the disciples and as ministers of the gospel, we have the responsibility to go out and follow the example of the disciples, the, the example of the apostles. And he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. He says, number one, you go and teach all nations and then you go and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And when we baptize, whether it's Elder Aquino, Elder Andy White, Elder Chuck Smith, when we baptize, we don't baptize into our name. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And this is where the charge is given to gospel ministers. But it's interesting right here, not only is this teaching, not only is this call given by gospel ministers to proclaim, he says, you go out and you teach and then you baptize. And he says, and then you teach again. So there's a responsibility to teach in the beginning. There's a responsibility to continue teaching. There's the responsibility of the individual when they're baptized. That's not the end of it. In, uh, in Texas, where I grew up, there were some folks that were referred to as trunk Baptist. Anybody know what a, what a trunk is? And uh, no, I'm not talking about a trunk on a car. Uh, a trunk that you would uh, pack your... That, that's an old-fashioned suitcase. And it's real big. And it's real heavy. And you would stack your clothes in there. And you'd put it on the back of a wagon. And they would transport it uh, uh, from one place to another. And... and, and some folks were referred to as trunk Baptist. What does that mean? It means that they would get baptized. They would maybe decide to move somewhere and they would ask for their letter, their church membership or letter. And then they would put it away in the trunk and their family might not discover it until they passed away and found out that they had actually been baptized and united with the church at an earlier stage in their life. And they were referred to as trunk Baptist. Well, right here, we have the responsibility as ministers. We all have the responsibility as students 
that we learn, that we're taught, that we're baptized, and then we're taught again. And as Elder Compton said at 102 years of age, he said, I still like to hear the Bible read to me because he said, I'm still learning. It's amazing how that you continue to learn. In Acts, it talks about that there is a, there's a there's a general call that's that's being given by Peter right here. He says, now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, and here's Peter's proclamation. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ for the remission of sin. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Our article says that we believe that the church of Christ is a corporate body having full power to govern herself. And it talks about her own members. We believe that the Lord calls his people. The Lord calls his people sovereignly by his power. But I believe that in addition to that, that in many cases, the Lord, and we'll look at it right here in Acts chapter 2, it says, for uh, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ for the remission of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He says, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's the responsibility of the gospel minister to proclaim the gospel. We don't know who it is that the Lord has touched their heart. And I'm real thankful that that's not my responsibility to know that. But the Lord touches the heart by his spirit and by his grace. And only those that are touched by the grace of almighty God are going to have uh, a hearing ear. That they're the only ones that are going to appreciate the gospel message. But I believe that it can be taken a little bit further. And I, I, I don't want to be labeled an absoluter. There are extremes in, and, and we have tendencies to go to an extreme in one direction or another. But I do believe in looking at the experience of individuals and their lives, that it says right here that even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then he says um, uh, in verse 46, and they continue daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. Uh, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I do believe that in addition, in addition to the Lord quickening and giving spiritual life, in addition to the gospel call that's presented, I believe that in our lives individually, that many of us can look back and we can see the hand of God in our life in leading us and directing us to the church of Jesus Christ. I'll give you a for instance. I shouldn't be in the church of Jesus Christ. I did not grow up in a home where my parents took me to the church of Jesus Christ. I grew up in a home where my parents took me to a church occasionally that believed something far different than what we believe. Uh, it was taught that you had to accept the Lord. You had to believe in the Lord. You had to receive the Lord. And then 
you would be heaven bound. Your name would be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I remember when I turned almost 12 years of age, the pastor of the church that we attended uh, scheduled a meeting with my mother and said, uh, we need to discuss with your son the age of accountability. It's the first time I'd ever heard about that. And he said, when you reach 12 years of age, you need to accept the Lord. You need to walk down the aisle and you need to be baptized and you need to make a profession of faith and you're going to secure your home in heaven. Well, I wanted to go to heaven. Sure. I wanted to sign up for it. And if that's what was required, then I was willing to do it. And I remember asking him, do I have to do all that? Can I just do part of it? And he said, well, you at least need to go before the, uh, the attendance and you need to make a public profession of faith. Well, I did it. And I didn't feel a bit different afterward than I did before. And when I discovered a few years later, about three years later, 15 years of age, that salvation was not based upon my works. It wasn't based upon my acceptance. It wasn't based upon something that I did, but it was based upon the sovereign grace of Almighty God and nothing else. That was music to my ears. And when I found out that there was a people that believed it, I couldn't wait to fellowship with them. And I'll tell you, I look back over my life and I've had a lot of regrets. I doubt I'm the only one that does. But one thing I've never regretted was aligning myself with the church of Jesus Christ. Not one time. Now, I have to tell you, back when I grew up in Texas about 100 years ago, you could get your license when you turned 15 years of age. And I had looked up. I found out where the church was in Lubbock, Texas. And, and, and I don't understand folks that aren't anxious to get their license. I'm telling you what, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. And when I turned 15 years of age, I was at the motor vehicle the very minute that they unlocked the door, and I can still remember hearing them unlock the door. And I went in, and I was so happy to go in and get my driver's license. And the reason I was is because then I had the independence to go to church. And it was a great blessing, and it's been a great blessing ever since. The Lord, I believe that there's, there's some of you here that... And maybe all of you here, maybe you grew up in a home where you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But maybe you didn't have that experience and maybe yours was like mine or like other folks. And, 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 and through either a godly grandparent or a friend or an experience, God led you to the church. I believe that God calls his people to the church in a general sense. But I believe that God sometimes in some of our lives, God leads us in a specific way to the church of Jesus Christ. When he says, as many as the Lord, our God, shall call. I believe we can look back upon our own lives and we can see our experience. And what I'm saying right here, I'm not asking you to over-spiritualize your experience. But I also don't want you to discount it too much as well. Elsa, you shouldn't be. And Calvin sure shouldn't be. I mean, based on your experience. But the Lord directed your parents Blessed you and Calvin to meet up. 
your family, Brother Andrew, and here you are today. What a blessing, the way the Lord directed you here. What I'm saying is I don't believe it's just by accident. I believe you can see the hand of the Lord in your own experience, and I don't want you to discount that. I want you to thank the Lord. One old sister up in New York State, she's now with the Lord. She said that when she grew up in, uh, in, in her home, she said we would have meetings on services on Saturday night. Uh, Sister Gertrude Secor from the church up in uh, Warwick, New York. And she said on Saturday night we would have home meetings. And she said we, in those home meetings, oftentimes folks, folks would talk about their experience, their experiences of the Lord. And how that the Lord led them to the church of Jesus Christ. And she said it was such a blessing. Now I want to tell you that sometimes the Lord, the Lord adds to the church. And, and, and sometimes the Lord leads us. I believe the Holy Spirit leads us sometimes through an impression. I'm going to use some biblical terms right here. The Lord can use the Holy Spirit to lead us through an impression. The Lord can lead us through the Holy Spirit by an unction. As Paul says, sometimes the Holy Spirit stirred him up. Another place, Paul says that he was pressed in spirit. Or as Brother Tom Franklin cited when he came forward, he said, I was waiting on the Lord to speak in a, in a profound way to me. And he says, I realized that all along the Lord was speaking to me in a still, small voice. Last week, we had Brother Larry Davis here from Virginia. And Brother Larry tells me this story almost every time when he comes. He said, Brother Stephen, he said, I grew up going to this church. Uh, We live in southern Virginia. We love coming back here because this is where the Lord first dealt with me. He said, in fact, I can take you to the very step as you go down the basement steps right here. He says, I can take you to the very step that I was standing on as I was going down the steps when the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, impressed upon me so much. And he said, I became overcome with emotion. And he said, I I couldn't wait to find my mother. And he said, I found my mother. And I said, Mom, I have a desire to follow in gospel baptism. Do you think that this church will have me? She said, well, there's a good way to find out. She said, you can ask for a home in the church and you'll see. And of course they would have him. When the Lord deals with somebody... The church is delighted and rejoices with everyone. So what is the church? I I, uh, uh, was on a a flight uh, to Texas uh, several years ago and was, was reading the scripture. And as I was reading the scripture, the person right next to me, uh, began to ask questions. And then he asked, he said, well, what church do you go to? And I told him the name of the church. He said, I'm not familiar with uh, this fundamental independent Baptist. I'm not familiar with that. Could you discuss it a little bit more? And I, I welcome those privileges and opportunities. And then he said, well, where is the Where's the headquarters for the Primitive Baptist? I grew up, church I attended, the headquarters was in Atlanta, Georgia. That's where the the headquarters was. 
And most assemblies do have a headquarters somewhere. And so the question was presented, well, well, where is the headquarters of the primitive Baptist? And I said, we don't have a headquarters on this earth. That each church operates by the authority of Jesus Christ and is autonomous. If you look up the word autonomous, it means that you're able to have the freedom to govern itself or its own affairs. What's a good example of that? Anybody think of a good example of something that operates autonomously? United States of America. We don't operate under the influence or reign of another country. We operate under the government of the United States of America, and it was set up on godly principles. And the United States is able to operate and govern herself. And I trust looking to and leaning upon the Lord Jesus Christ, but it operates in an autonomous fashion. And the church of Jesus Christ is exactly the same way. I love the dear folks that we have visiting here from Wilmington. But we as the, the, the Bel Air Church do not have any influence on how Wilmington operates at Wilmington. I'm so thankful Brother Harvey's here from Columbia. And as thankful as I am for Columbia Church, Mount Carmel does not have the right to govern the Columbia Church. Nor does Columbia have the right to govern Mount Carmel. Each individual church... When set up as a church of Jesus Christ operates independent. And so even though we do not have a headquarters here upon this earth, our headquarters and our accountability that we hold to is in heaven. The same headquarters for Wilmington and Columbia and Nashville and Austin, Texas is in heaven. It's the, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, verse, uh, verse uh, uh, we'll start with verse 16. Then uh, uh, Christ said, this is Christ talking to Peter, but he saith unto him, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said, I say that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And verse 18 is the one I want you to really hold on to right here. He says, But I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter. Now, lest we, lest we think that the church is built upon Jesus Christ, he clears it up right here. I mean, that on Peter, he clears it up. He says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not Peter, but upon Christ, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the church of Jesus Christ is built upon Jesus Christ. And if we fail to acknowledge, if we fail to preach, if we fail to uh, uh, emphasize the Lord Jesus Christ in our worship, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that removes the candlestick. 
I was traveling in upstate New York several years ago with, uh, with a brother, and we passed a building that um, had formerly been recognized as a, as, a, um, uh, as, a, as a church. And he said, he said there was a service here uh, a few months ago to desanctify the building. That just sounds kind of strange to me. It just didn't click. I couldn't connect the dots. That you would desanctify the building. Do you know for old Baptists, best way to desanctify the building is remove Jesus Christ. If we fail to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, we're missing the mark because the church is built upon Christ and none other. So the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a simple church. It's a simple body. But the church is built on Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of the church. So he says, upon this rock, upon Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul is telling Timothy, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And then he begins to give us a little bit of tip right here. He says, which is, so this is what should be in the church, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. So it's very important. It's very fundamental that we bring a message that's a truthful message to God's people. That we bring the apostles' doctrine. There's um, another example in, um, in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. Bray, you've experienced this verse right here just recently. You told me that you did. It says that you're no more strangers but foreigners and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of God and the household of God. In the church of Jesus Christ, there is a really neat bond between the Lord's people. A real special bond. That's why, Bray, you can go to Memphis, Tennessee, or you can go to Alabama, or you can go to Georgia, and you experience that same fellowship and communion with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because he says we're fellow citizens. He says we're fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. And he says, and the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So the church of Jesus Christ is, is built upon Christ being the cornerstone. He tells us in the latter part of the, the verse, he says, it's built upon the foundation of the apostle and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the, the, the chief cornerstone. What's he saying right here? He's saying that the church of Jesus Christ that Christ is the cornerstone. There's a, a church in Hopewell, New Jersey, where one of the pastors was buried under the church building. And it's near the corner. And it almost would appear that his grave would be the cornerstone. But it's not right on the corner. 
He's just buried under the building and his his um, his uh, marker is right there on the side of the building. It's a pretty unique uh, burial, I would say. But he says right here to remind us that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. That the church cannot stand. The church cannot survive. The church cannot continue. There is no church at all if Jesus Christ is not the cornerstone. And he says it's built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I believe what he's saying right here, it's the same gospel message that the prophets and the apostles taught. Now, if Brother Steve or myself or Brother Chuck or Brother Asa failed to teach the doctrine that the apostles taught, then you need to start looking for another preacher. Because we've been given the charge and the responsibility to teach the same doctrine that the apostles taught. He says right here, whom Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly fitted together, groweth up unto a holy temple unto the Lord in whom ye all are builded together for inhabitation of the spirit. One more place about the, the basis and the content of the church of Jesus Christ and what it, what it has to embrace and what it has to hold. In John chapter 4, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father. And he mentions two things right here. And these two things are vital for the church of Jesus Christ. I've been to places that I felt like I could witness that they had one or the other. But he says right here that there's two things that are necessary for the church of Jesus Christ. He says the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. For the father seeketh such to worship him. He mentions it twice right here. He says the father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, Brother Gus Harder, when he came back from the Philippines after being blessed to start 60 some odd churches in the Philippines, he came back, moved back to the States in his latter years. They brought back a bunch of adopted children that they had adopted from the orphanage over there. And he traveled through the country after he came back. And one of the messages that he preached in various parts of the country was essentials and non-essentials. And there are essentials in the church of Jesus Christ that identify you as a godly church. Number one, I'll, I'll say this. Our articles of faith and our conviction teaches us that the Bible is the inspired word of God. There are folks that claim to be Christians that do not embrace this teaching that the Bible is the inspired word of God. That's an essential. There are some folks that don't embrace the idea or theory, as they would say it, that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin birth. Not only do our articles of faith portray that we believe that, but we are personally convicted that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin birth. 
Our articles of faith emphasize and remind us that we believe that God is sovereign. We do not believe that God is up there twiddling his thumbs in heaven, wanting us to do something. But our God, as Matthew chapter 28 says, has all power. I like what Brother Compton used to say. He said, if God has all power, how much power do we have? God has all power. He's in charge. Does God control everything? I don't believe God controls everything, but God is in charge and God guides us and God leads us and God impresses us. But we're not a bunch of robots down here and we cannot blame God for our sin or for our evil decisions. We can't lay that to God's charge. He says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if, if, um, if the church doesn't have a headquarters here on this earth, if there's not a corporate body here that determines where a minister would go or where a church should be established or how much to pay an individual or what messages are to be preached that, that, uh, that are not given by somebody else then how in the world would a church start? How is it that the Lord starts a church? I'll share with you how Mount Carmel started. And the example that we have in the book of Acts is exactly the same. There were a group of folks that moved up here from North Carolina. They moved up to this area because they could find work up here. And in the mountains of North Carolina, work was scarce. They brought their families and out of this little group of folks from southern Virginia. Now, now each church is a little bit different, but the overall experience is much the same. That these families grew up understanding the doctrines of grace. They appreciated the fellowship of the saints. And when they moved to Maryland, they wanted to have a church family or a church body. It doesn't take. A large congregation to start a church. In fact, the beginning of it and all it takes is the Lord impressing one individual or one family or one small body of individuals together that have a desire and a desire to worship the Lord and a commitment to serve the Lord. And so these families here in North Carolina, Brother Phil's grandfather was one of them that recognized this need they, it, it, and by the way, it doesn't even require a church building. In fact, the early church met from house to house. And, 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 and that's still the way that, that, that we could meet today if we didn't have the blessing of having a building. So it doesn't require a building. A building's a blessing. And this building's been a blessing for 85 years here at Mount Carmel. And, and I'm thankful for the, the visionaries that God blessed back in the 30s. To build this building. And we've been blessed to enjoy it all those years. But what it takes is a body of believers. That have a heart to serve the Lord. And so these folks moved up. Hard working farmers from North Carolina. That had a desire to worship the Lord. And so from the North Carolina church. Where Elder R.H. Pittman was the pastor. And from the churches that Elder uh, Susan's grandfather, Elder Thompson, worshipped, 
They were invited to come up and hold services for this little band of believers here in Bel Air. And they would have a variety of ministers. And finally, these, the ministers that came, Elder Pittman and Elder uh, Thompson, recognized that, you know, these folks are serious about worshiping the Lord. And they want to have a church family. And so the church in North Carolina, I, I've heard this old fashioned term and you may have heard it as well. They extended an arm. I don't know why they said arm instead of leg or something else like that, but they extended an arm or a hand or something like that. They extended an arm to Mount Carmel to establish the church here in Mount Carmel. So when the church here was constituted, the church embraced very similar, if not identical, the articles of faith of the church that the ministers in North Carolina were representing there. And so when they came together, they would have a a worship service and they would recognize that God is in the matter and God is blessing the people to have a commitment and a desire to worship here in this area. And we're simply recognizing it. Elder Pittman and Elder Thompson didn't go around starting churches. The Lord is the one that starts churches. They were going around recognizing what God was doing. So I hope this is not boring to you. I get excited about it and, and, and I, I get excited about sharing it with you. So the folks here at Mount Carmel came together. They recognized the articles of faith. They said, we want to be called a New Testament church of Jesus Christ. And, and then Elder Pittman served for a while. And then later Elder Thompson Susan's grandfather came and served and Elder Thompson pastored the church here at Bel Air for almost 50 years. What a tremendous testimony. He made a wonderful impact. God used him to make a tremendous impact here in Bel Air through the years that he was here. A great blessing. So then Mount Carmel worships and there's a little body of folks and Elsa's part of this up in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And through the providence of God, through God bringing folks together, different ones to meet other folks, we were blessed to find a group of folks that already in many ways believe the doctrines of grace. And we begin to worship and hold services up in New Jersey and in in Philadelphia and Southampton. And the group continued to grow. and And more than that, the commitment grew. And it began to be apparent that God was blessing and that God was raising up a church in that area. It didn't have to be a large group of folks. Only a small handful. And so the church came together and as an extension or arm of Mount Carmel, we had a wonderful church service up there. Ministers from around the country came together. It was a happy time, a time of rejoicing. Some folks have never had the opportunity of witnessing a new church starting. I tell you, that's a wonderful, wonderful blessing to see the hand of God in it. Wilmington was very instrumental in it. Brother Andrew Huffman, Brother Chuck was, uh, Brother Steve Aquino. But as an extension of Mount Carmel, the church in Southampton started. They embraced the same or similar doctrine 
doctrinal points that we believe the scriptures teach. Now, if a church is started with a little group in New York City, very likely it will be an extension of one of the churches represented here, Mount Carmel or Columbia or Wilmington. And the folks there, that some of those folks have talked about baptism, some have a great, strong commitment. John Taylor attended services, and not one time in eight years did he miss a service. That's a pretty strong commitment. If there's a committed group of folks to come together, it will be an extension or arm of Mount Carmel. That is generally how a church is started. That's the direction that we have in the book of Acts. That is the that is the direction that we have as ministers of the gospel in recognizing the hand of God in starting churches around the country. Now, I am not saying that God cannot bless folks, that that God is unable to bless folks with a great degree of light, with a great degree of worship. God may raise up a body of folks to worship him in spirit and in truth in another part of the country. As far as the church here at Mount Carmel, we can trace back the identity of the church and the connection of the church all the way to North Carolina. In an ideal situation, we would be able to trace back the church of Jesus Christ here at Mount, the the Mount Carmel church to North Carolina and then further back to the North Carolina church where it came from all the way back to the apostles and Jesus Christ. But even though I believe that that's the example that we have, that's the ordinary example that we have of the Lord starting churches, and we recognize that, and that's the authority that we have. God is able to raise up if he chooses and to bless, but that's the example that we have, and that's the example that we go by. But I would say, at least for me, it may be different for you, but at least for me, even though I can't, and I'm not saying, I'm just saying I I don't have the information. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have, I'm not able to connect all the dots with Mount Carmel all the way back to the, to Jesus Christ and the apostles doctrine because of my uh, lack of knowledge or my ignorance. There should be a line all the way back to the apostles doctrine. But I will tell you that what I do believe that's even more important than that is that the church of Jesus Christ maintain and hold to the same doctrine that the apostles taught. And even though I might not be able to connect every dot along the way where the church led all the way up to Mount Carmel or all the way back to Jesus Christ, what I can do is recognize and proclaim the same doctrine that the apostles taught. And that's what we're required to do. I do believe that's how the Lord starts churches, continues to today, and that's how we're to recognize that as we as we go along. So I'm just going to read the the article again and we'll wrap it up. And boy, it's it's uh, there's still a whole lot more here and maybe we'll touch on this next week uh, even more. Uh, It it says we believe that the church of Jesus Christ is a body corporate. It's authorities from heaven possessing full uh, power to govern herself the church body looking to Christ 
having the exclusive right to receive and discipline her own members, knowing, by the way, we don't have the right and the authority to discipline members of another church, nor do they have the right to discipline our members. That right falls right here within Mount Carmel. And he says, knowing no rule but the word of God, and she is therefore independent. We're taught that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He says, basically, the rule that we have to live by, the rule that we have to go by is the word of God and none other than the word of God. So... We believe that the church is autonomous. We believe that the headquarters is in heaven. We believe it's the Lord that builds the church. It's the Lord that keeps the church. It's the Lord that sustains the church. We believe that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. So it's a simple order of service. It's a simple doctrine. But we ought to be able to connect, at least identify the doctrine that the apostles taught. And it should be exactly the same doctrine that we teach in 2019. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.